Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela. Today I have with me, Laura Ramey, who is the and in-studio teacher for My Vinyasa Practice in Austin. Um, Laura has been teaching with us for a little while now, so I'm very excited to have her with us because she's recently started doing this relaxation workshop for us that incorporates Reiki, and I myself am a Reiki newbie, so I'm really excited to have Laura here to share a little bit about how she incorporates the practice of Reiki into her offerings as a yoga teacher. So, Laura, how are you today? I am wonderful. And it's a rarity that I get to say that at this time of the year because things can be a little hectic, but I've had a good week so far. How are you? I love to hear that. I I agree. It's the same. I really can't complain this week. It's not too bad. Um, and I'm happy to be here and chatting with you. This is a nice kind of like star to the week as I wind down for the rest of the week. So Lovely. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. I'm so excited. So let's start a little bit. Give us a background and share with the listeners anything you want to about you, who you are, what you like, how you came to yoga, anything at all. Sure. So I actually am new to the Austin area. I moved here in May from Massachusetts. Um, I have been practicing yoga for about I would say 13 years now, um, came to yoga from a YouTube video because somebody said, you should do yoga, it's good for you. And it was very um, asana, postural based. And then I decided to finally sneak my way into a yoga class. And I was so grateful that the teacher at the time really taught many limbs of yoga so i really had the opportunity to move beyond the physical and i just became hooked and i uh, got my first certification in 2017 i got my 300 hour through mvp in 2020 and now i am at the tail end of my yoga therapy certification with mvp so very excited it's been over two years Wait a minute. I had no idea you were in training to be a yoga therapist. I am so excited to hear that for you. That's Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I said, so, and then I, in terms of Reiki, I got into Reiki uh, through my mother. My mom has been or was a nurse. She's retired now for over 30 years. And she actually uh learned reiki a reiki master came into the nursing home that she was working in and they um she's they they certified all of the nurses in reiki who were interested in so i actually learned of the practice from my mom many moons ago but it wasn't until about 2018 2019 that i got really serious into exploring it oh wait a minute that's literally the cutest thing ever why that should be Someone came into the nursing room to teach the staff about Reiki. That it, what a what a gift. Yes, and to do that so long ago when you know wellness wasn't as trendy as it is now um, is definitely that was a whoever did that was a pioneer for sure. And now it's becoming more and more prevalent in um, skilled nursing facilities and hospitals and clinical settings, which is absolutely amazing. 
So before I get into the meaty, good questions, what outside of yoga do you like to do? What are you interested in? Do you, what fills your cup? Oh, that's such a great question. So I am my, my, my astrological sign. I'm a Taurus uh, for with uh, within Ayurveda. I am a Kapadosha. So I am an earth baby through and through. I love nature. I love sweet things. I love being around people. I would say in my free time, I spend as much time as I can outside. I like to read and spend time with my eight month old puppy and my partner who I've been with for nine years now and uh, still exploring the Austin area and you know, slowly making some new friends. So I'm um, just continuing to do that while I can. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, love, what's the puppy's name? I need to know. Otherwise, it'll be in the back of my head the whole time. Walter. What kind of puppy is Walter? He is a, a Black Lab Border Collie mix. Lots of energy. He's cute as a button, and uh, he is my son. So I have spent a lot of energy on making him into the puppy he is, and he is absolutely wonderful. The light oh, of my life. I can't wait to meet him. I hope I get to meet him one day. Yes, when he when he is um, uh, properly behaved for yoga practice outdoors, I will absolutely be bringing him to yoga on the lawn. Oh my gosh, so fun. Let me know and I'm there too. So fun. Okay, not to have a whole podcast about dogs. Tell me a little bit more about, and first, am I saying it right? Is it Reiki? Reiki? That's a great question. It is Reiki. Um, so Reiki comes from the Japanese word um, Rei, which is uh, universal life, and then Ki, which means energy. So similar to the yogic concept of prana, Ki should be uh, free-flowing within, uh, within an individual. So when Ki is not free-flowing, it, it, uh, an individual will experience um, or could experience a blockage that might result in some kind of physical, mental, uh, emotional, spiritual imbalance. And essentially, it's a Japanese form of subtle energy healing. And I can tell you a little bit about what a what a typical private Reiki session looks like. Essentially, the individual uh, comes into the session fully clothed. They typically will lay on a massage table unless the practitioner doesn't have one. Then they might set them up comfortably on a couch or on the floor. And the practitioner channels the Reiki through their hands while the person is fully clothed. So that's why it can be really accessible to people who might be a little bit uncomfortable with massage because you're fully clothed, you have blankets, maybe an eye mask. And essentially, it's a period of stillness for however long the, the session takes. I have a lot of questions already. Um, I didn't know it was Japanese. Thank you for sharing that. I also love the breakdown of the word. And it's reminding me a lot as you were talking about it, of the chakras. Yes, yes. And uh, practitioners of Reiki, there, there's a there's many different lenses that you can work with someone through when you're working with them with Reiki, much like yoga or even yoga therapy. Yoga therapists, they kind of choose whichever lens they feel most comfortable with. So uh, you might work with the chakras, you might work with the Panchamaya Kosha system, you might work with Chinese meridians. Um, so there's many different lenses that you can look through. I, in particular, work with 
with the chakras and the elements when I'm working with people. I love that because it's giving me the yoga, the yogic view that we take of you can bring your beliefs into this practice and it can, you can make it fit you take what you need, leave the rest. Yes. I have to give it up to my Reiki master, Catherine Oregel. Shout out to Catherine. She really made the practice very accessible to me um, and, and really allowed that. I don't know if there is another camp in Reiki practice that feels that you shouldn't do that, but I know from the Reiki master I learned from, and I'm sure it was passed down from her Reiki master. Yes. Work with what you know, what you feel comfortable with and what you connect to most too in terms of any type of energy healing i love that clarification that you just made um that there might be practitioners who don't necessarily agree with that but i really appreciate that accessible approach um yeah i love that so how long has this been utilized so much like yoga has been around far longer than it was codified, um, so too has subtle energy healing. Uh, the type of Reiki that I am certified in that I have been attuned to is um, a Sui Reiki. And essentially, Dr. Makao Asui, he was born sometime in the 1800s, and he, uh, he came from a Buddhist family. He studied Buddhism at a really young age, and he had a lot of um, different interests, and he was really interested interested in theology and medicine. And um, during his spiritual development, he really wanted to find a system of healing and that he wanted to invent. He was struggling to find it. So um, sometime during his development, he stayed in a cave on Mount Kur Kurama, I think is how it's pronounced. And for 21 days, he fasted, he meditated and prayed. Sounds very similar to Buddha's um, spiritual development. And then on the morning of the 21st day, he experienced this event that allowed him to see these ancient symbols, which um, have become, is, which is now what it is today, are the Reiki symbols that we learned during our training. Um, so after his spiritual awakening, he established a clinic for healing. Um, and then as the practice was spreading, he became known for um, the Reiki healing. And then he would attune others to Reiki, which um, an attunement is uh, a powerful uh, spiritual experience where your energetic pathways are opened by a Reiki master. So each Reiki master has a lineage that directly links to Dr. Asui. So for instance, I'm about eight to 10 people away from Dr. Asui. Um, but with that said, um, prior to Asui Reiki, researchers have found at least four other types of Reiki healing that I'm not familiar with. I haven't been attuned in them but it's similar to, to that. So a lot of people think that it started with him, but really it's been before him. And then that type of healing has been thousands of years old. It's come, it's that, it's just like yoga. So I love that. So you, I, what I'm hearing is that, you know, after this, I want to say popularization almost in the 1800s when Dr. Asui, am I saying that correctly? Cool. Yes. When um, he kind of came out and was doing all of these things, like creating his, his uh, clinic. What I'm hearing is that then they went back and started to look at like older texts and older, older things and saw that 
they were doing it, just not in so many words. They weren't calling it this. Yes, yes, exactly. I think some of them did actually uh, call the practice Reiki, um, but not all of them did. And it's very similar to, um, it's it's just a subtle energetic healing. So like you had said, um, there's probably a lot of practices that aren't specifically called Reiki that are essentially very similar. I'm sure that even in other, uh, in other lineages and other countries and other types of spiritual communities, there's probably something similar. So you said the word attunement, is that what you call like a one-on-one -on -one session or is that what happens during a one-on-one -on -one session? An attunement happens when someone is going through the Reiki um, certification process. So essentially there are, um, there's a level one Reiki certification, which is where you learn to practice on yourself. You learn the basic history of Reiki. You learn how to ground yourself because um, just like any other practice, you can sit down and try to um, do your practice, but just like a car that's been running all day, you can't just shut off the car and expect it to stop making noises. So there is like a grounding that you learn. Um, and then in level two Reiki, that is where you learn to practice on other people. Um, and that that comes with the inclusion of Reiki symbols. There are several. Your Reiki master will um, choose which symbols they are going to attune for you. So the attunement comes from the from the certification process. Once you've gone through the entire course, at the very end, the Reiki master will attune you. That it's a special ritual, and um, and then you will essentially have been attuned to the Reiki energy, and you are required to practice it for 21 days consistently, just like Dr. Asui um, went through his development for 21 days. Um, but of course, for a deeper practice, you should definitely practice more. Um, the, the practice doesn't end after 21 days, but that's really the minimum. Thank you for that clarification. So uh, there are two levels. Is there a specific amount of time that you have to put in? like before you progress through, like kind of in, in the yoga teacher world, after you get certified, they're like, now you gotta teach this many hours if you wanna be whatever, you know? Is there anything like that? Or is it just like however long it takes you to kind of move through the programs? That's a great question. I'm sure it would, it'll differ from Reiki master to Reiki master. I think that um, there, I think that there's a little bit of subjectivity to that. They, I know that for mine in particular, she at least wanted us to be, um, to have that 21 days of consistent practice. I chose to wait a little bit longer so that I could continue really feeling it because I think a lot of people in the um in the spiritual community when they learn a practice all they want to do is jump off the boat and start practicing it practicing it on other people and they really forget that the practice is actually about yourself first so i wanted to take some time to really learn to practice on myself to feel all of those the subtle nuances, the subtle energy, because there are some sensations that one might experience. So I really wanted to get to know my own energy before I went forward and learned how to practice on other people. 
Um, and then after I did my level two, uh, I, you know, I started uh, practicing at my, my Reiki master had Reiki clinics where for a very reduced price, it was really just the price to rent out the space. We would uh, practice Reiki on people in the community who would want to come in and, and just get like a very reduced rate session so we could make it affordable and accessible to people. And that really helped me practice. And beyond level two, that next step would be to become a Reiki master. And I really feel it's something that you have to have a calling for. It's something I never had the calling for. I really stopped at level two, but um, I'm still, I still practice on myself and others at times too. I really appreciate that it's that it starts with you because yoga is the same way because ultimately everything we experience is through our lens. Mm, so we mm. start there first. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. Okay. So you could become a master afterwards and there's probably a little bit of subjectivity through like length and like specific formatting. Yeah, exactly. Some Reiki masters will do certifications in like a full day. You might be in, a, you know, in a room or in a, an educational space for a full day. My Reiki master broke it up into weeks so that we weren't doing it all in one day, which I really loved. Um, we did, I think Reiki one was uh, four weeks and Reiki two was six to eight weeks. So that was really great because then you have time to actually digest a little bit, like learn a little bit, go home, digest, study, come back, learn a little bit, digest and go on instead of getting it all crammed into a day. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of benefits to doing it in a day as well. Awesome. So what we've talked about a few mentioned a few different ways in which one might experience Reiki. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, Oh, let me try. Um, what are the benefits of this kind of subtle healing practice, subtle energy healing practice? Sure. So some of the benefits include things like um, stress reduction, relaxation, better sleep, pain management. Um, it is not a cure for disease or illness. Uh, I'm sure that that's probably debatable as well, but I know that when clients come to see me for or used to come to see me, we can talk a little bit about why I don't see clients anymore. But um, uh, when they used to come to see me and they came for any kind of physical ailment or illness, I was very clear that um, it's not something that is going to cure them, but it is an absolutely wonderful complement to the other modalities that they're using for their healing. Thank you for that clarification as well. Um, because I feel as though the maybe media portrayals of what it might look like are kind of extreme, I think. Yes, yes. And I'm sure there are some practitioners that probably um, state that they can cure certain people. And I mean, whether or not they can, I have no idea, but I know for myself, that's not what I'm going for with people. Beautiful. That said, how, if one were to start getting into something like this, how often would you recommend getting something like that done, getting a treatment done? Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think it depends on the person. I've had people that would come to see me uh, once a month. Um, I've had people that would come to see me once a year. It really all depends on 
obviously the accessibility of it, you know, it's, um, it's a type of career in a way. So if somebody is able to pay for it, you know, every week, then great. But if not, um, then maybe a little bit less. It really is all about them. I never would pressure anybody to um, come see me on a regular basis. And I would never tell people that they had to come see me for, uh, for their healing or their wellness, that there were other ways to do it. Um, and that's a big reason why I don't actually uh, have a private practice anymore. I obviously closed it down when I moved from Massachusetts to here, but I really decided not to get into it as a sole practice again, because I felt like there were people that were coming to see me to fix them. And Reiki is a very passive practice. As a, as a client, you don't have to do anything. You come and the practitioner is the one doing all the work. You just have to be open to the experience. But when they're coming with these really difficult life situations and experiences, I didn't feel right just having them come to pay me to give them some sort of um, comfort for the hour, you know, filling up their cup and then having them leave with nothing. So what I ended up doing towards my last like five or six months of seeing clients is I started to pair Reiki with uh, yoga nidra and pranayama so that they had practices that they could leave with. They didn't feel like they had to dish out money to me again. They didn't feel like they have to go do the certifications to practice on themselves. I wanted to give them tools to leave with. That is awesome. I love that. That's so cool. Okay. So when you were doing that, did you have a specific yoga nidra that you liked to give, or was it kind of all over the place that you offered? Definitely depended on the person. I would always do a one-on-one -on -one call before their appointment so that I could find a yoga nidra that would work for them. Um, you know, what they're looking for, have they ever meditated before, what type of meditations that they are, um, that they're interested in. And I would either um, come up with, a, you know, my own, I would create my own script if what they were looking for was very individual, or I would pull from like a, you know, a good old niche a deep relaxation or something like that. So it was definitely based on the individual. So it sounds like there is a lot, almost like any kind of one-on-one, -on -one, any kind of personalized session, there is a whole like session based on goals, goal setting and checking in. Mm -hmm. Is there a formal way that you learn to do that as a Reiki practitioner, or is that just something that you develop yourself as you start to move into it? Something I developed myself uh, because I, I was noticing that people were coming and, you know, when somebody is coming with a heavy heart or a lot going on, it's kind of hard to just lay on a table and not move and try to relax for an hour without anything, any type of assistance in the beginning, the middle or the end. So what I would do is I would usually um, start with, obviously I'd start with, a, um, with like a grounding practice, but then we would either do pranayama or yoga nidra in the beginning that way we could get them into a more sattvic state and then we would move into the reiki towards the end that is so fun i love that you mentioned it a little bit practicing on yourself what does that look like 
<laughs> it's very, very similar. Um, usually, you know, I, I don't always have the time to, um, you know, do like a 30 to 60 minute practice on myself. There's this um, concept of a Reiki shower that you can do if you're um, pressed for time, where it's just something quick. If I have five minutes, um, I, you know, if I only have five minutes, I'll do that. If I only have a minute, I'll, I'll do it as well. So it's really, um, you know, placing hands on myself. So is there touch involved when it comes to a session? So you can receive Reiki um, hands-on, you can receive it hands-off, and you can even receive it at a distance if the practitioner has um, been attuned to the distance symbol. The distance symbol, this is cool. I like this. Yes, the, the distance symbol, oh, I hope I can pronounce it right. It's um, Hon Shaze Shonen, and it's, uh, it means having no past, present, or future. So you can, um, you can use it for the going at a distance um, with someone, or you can use it for um, you know, some healing in the past or healing in the future. Um, so you know, there's, when, when, it comes to, when it comes to energy, when it comes to Reiki and yoga, time is just a concept. Um, you know, energy does not know the bounds of time and space, so it can go beyond those. I'm so intrigued now by the symbols. Are you, how many, is there a maximum that you can be attuned to, or is there like an average amount that people are attuned to usually? Like, tell me about that. You know, I'm not sure. I was attuned to, I think, three or four of them um, used for different different types of situations. I'll be honest, I'm not sure if this is like something that's hush hush. I know you can look on the Internet and find those symbols. So I don't think it's anything that, you know, that that is new to anybody that has a computer. Um, but some of the symbols that I was attuned to, um, you know, I was attuned to one for grounding and protection. I was attuned to another one. One for harmony, I would use that one for anybody that was coming in for any type of um, like emotional issues that they had. Um, and then definitely the the distance symbol and th that might be it. There might be one more I'm missing. I just know those are the three that I use the most. That is so neat. I really like the concept of that. This is a random question, but do you have images of them? Like in your, in, do you have an altar or something like that, or a space where you practice? So I don't, I don't have a particular space that I practice, but I do have the images drawn out. They're very similar to like a yantra um, where you would um, concentrate on them. And when you're practicing on somebody or yourself, you would see them in your mind. Um, some of them are very complex. So you have to do the best that you can to see it in your mind, because it's kind of like when um, somebody asks you to draw a bicycle or a penny, um, you, you think that you can do it, but it doesn't always come out right. So so it's similar to that, especially the distance symbol. I think that was the hardest one for me to learn to draw. And I probably wouldn't be able to do it without a guide today. That's so cool. I really like that. And I like that um, kind of tie back to a, a focus meditation, right? That's, I, I really love that. That's so neat. So hands on, hands off at a distance. Mm-hmm very accessible for a lot of different people. 
you've already kind of answered my question about pairing it with other modalities because you brought in uh, yoga nidra and you brought in pranayama but this also kind of leads me into i would love to have a little like info on kind of what your in-person uh, workshop looked like that you did that was the relaxation sound healing and reiki sure sure so that so that was really fun it was a lot of work on my end but i was just i felt like i did the relaxation workshop after um so the relaxation workshops that i've been doing it's um it's restorative yoga yoga nidra reiki and sound healing so typically in the beginning um of the workshop i'll do some sort of some sort of talk it's usually i try to do a talk on what relaxation is and what it isn't because sometimes it can be difficult to know um and kind of just have some sort of um just some sort of like i, I guess you could call it like a dharma talk on on you know the the yogic idea of relaxation and what it means to not be relaxed um then we move into um some sort of grounding practice or for a lot of people feel really buzzing with energy we'll do some like kabbalah bati or we'll shake you know because again you can't just turn the car off and then during the restorative yoga piece everybody is in their restorative postures and because we hold them for 15 to 20 minutes i go around and i do reiki with um, all of the practitioners i also have consent cards so i know that if people don't want the reiki you know we have the yes or no cards and then um, after the restorative yoga you know depending on how many people come you know you can get anywhere from like five to six minutes of reiki each person and then um, we move into yoga nidra and then we'll do uh, like a sound bath um, shavasana so it's a lot of work i'm spending the whole restorative yoga time kind of crouched over on everybody and trying to figure out a way that i can squeeze in between people it's a lot of fun i love it that sounds so wonderful how long is the workshop two hours of self-care wow i love it. it an hour teaching an hour class is never enough for me so two hours i just felt like i had so much freedom what a treat do you when you do st uh, that workshop do you bring like a theme or anything to the the workshop it I guess I guess it depends. the The first one that I did was for was really um, just uh, educational on relaxation. We brought in you know some some yogic principles. Um, in the future, like I would love to do um, some themes around the gunas because you know relaxation is very tamasic. So being able to educate people on the gunas and how to regulate their energy and why it's important and what to do if you feel like you can't regulate your energy. I do that already a lot with my yoga therapy clients. We always talk about the gunas. I think we talk about it with every client. I think something that's really cool about a lot of these ancient spiritual belief systems is that there's a lot of similarities in some of the some of the principles um you mentioned the elements can you talk about how you tie the elements in to to your practice yeah yeah so um I, so i've i'm still in this exploration of how i connect to all of these energetic lenses and when i first learned about the chakras you know i learned 
the, the way most people learn about the chakras, the colors of the rainbow, all of these psychological meanings behind the chakras. And I really couldn't connect to that. But then when I started doing a deep dive into the origins of the chakras and how they're actually connected to the elements, um, that just made my heart sing. I was able to really use those ideas and use them with my clients so essentially during a reiki session when i have like time you know when it's one-on-one -on -one and i have a good amount of time i'll usually scan them around the areas um, where the chakras or the elements um, can be found and if i feel like there is anything calling me to that particular area, I know that that's where I have to focus during the session. Unless a client tells me that they have a particular focus, I always wanna take care of what they want first, and then I go with what is calling to me next. Because if you say, you know, you're having shoulder pain and somebody's working on your foot, you know, you're gonna be like, I, I paid you for shoulder pain. <clears throat> so I always try to work on that first. And then with one client in particular, I took it another step further. I had a person come for a Reiki session and they had um, they had a lot of anxiety, PTSD, um, involuntary shaking when they're you know nervous or anxious. And this person had very they were very, very anxious. And the shaking was so intense that I could see them shaking from across the room. So I knew that just Reiki wasn't going to help in that moment. So I um, the, the shaking started getting worse while I was doing grounding with them. So I thought to myself, what if I were to add in mantra? And I, you know, LAM is connected to the earth element. And if somebody's having a problem with grounding, let's see if we can use the mantra for it. So I asked them I, if they'd ever, um, you know, practiced mantra before. And they were like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've ohmed a couple times. And I said, okay, well, why don't you repeat after me? And I would start to chant LAM, LAM, like a rolling LAM. Within a half a second, the shaking was completely gone. It was it was so strange because it, it felt like like after a tornado hits or a hurricane hits and there's that just eerie calm. It was so calm. And even he even that person was like, whoa. You know, I said, whoa, <laughs> I can't believe that just worked. That's amazing. And so anytime they started to shake, um, we practiced LAM. We would just chant LAM together and then the shaking went away. So that was another that was like another step up of adding the elements to the practice. I love that. How amazing. And it makes total sense because we know that mantra works really well for Chittavriti and how cool to see it live in action, you know? Yeah, and they said that, that that nothing has ever worked like that before. And I said, well, you know what? That bija is for you. And, and this is, again, this is why I bring other elements of spirituality or practices in because now that person can go home and if they're feeling that way in any situation, they have that practice with them. They don't have to try to book an appointment with somebody to, to get help. They, ha they have that power to help themselves. Giving them tools for their tool belt. And just for listeners, Bija is seed sound. Yes. yes? Seed yes. sound. So that's what LAM is. Can you yes. tell us what it's the seed sound for? You said grounding. 
Well, it's it's lum for the earth element. Earth element, earth element. Yes, okay. earth element or um, the root chakra. Beautiful, thank you. Yeah. Um, just for the people listening. Um, awesome, okay. I feel like I have a million other questions, but for the sake of time, what would you suggest for people who are new, who haven't experienced Reiki, how they can maybe start to explore that energy practice? Sure. So, I mean, there's so many ways to explore. I mean, first, just to be able to do research on what it is, what to expect. That way, if you ever get into a setting where you're going to experience Reiki, you don't have any of those nerves. You kind of know what's coming. Um, I know, you know, I know you can book appointments with um, with folks who do one on one. Reiki is starting to come into a lot of um, events and workshops like the one that I did. So you can experience it in a group setting if maybe you're not ready for a one on one. Um, I know for myself, I wanted to experience a session before I did the training. So that's how I found my Reiki master. I went online, I started doing research and wanted to find um, somebody that was, um, you know, reputable that that I felt a, a connection with, even if it was through their website. And, um, and and I really felt it was important to speak to, um, you know, a practitioner, a Reiki master first, um, to ensure that they're not making promises of healing illness or using negative language that assumes you need several treatments to experience the benefits. Um, I've had a client come to me in the past because they went to a spiritual healer. I, I don't know what modality they were in, but essentially this person told them that they had a torn root chakra, a damaged solar plexus, and used all of this negative language. So this person came to me because of that, and they were clearly sh shaken up and really uncomfortable with the fact that they thought their energy was broken. And I had to do a lot of educating during that session to say, <laughs> you you can't rip a, a rip a chakra. I mean, maybe, maybe people will argue that with me, but that is just not my belief. So I, I never, I'm probably a bad business person because I don't want people to come to see me all the time because I really love the idea of self-healing. Um, so I was looking for somebody that was that had that same idea and those same values. Um, I would also say to be open to it. That's the only thing you have to do when you are experiencing Reiki. You don't have to concentrate on anything. You don't have to, there's no movement. There's nothing. You just have to be open to experiencing whatever you're going to experience. Release your expectations for what it's supposed to feel like because sometimes people feel something. Sometimes people feel nothing and they might think the Reiki is not getting me because I asked for hands off. That's not true. Um, energy is going to get you no matter what. Um, and also knowing that you have the ability to tap into your own energy that the practitioners do. So just because you don't, you haven't been attuned to a sui reiki doesn't mean that you can't put your hands on yourself and have a loving healing intention of filling yourself up. Doesn't mean that that's not going to work. That most likely will work. That's it's probably very much the same thing. It's just a different practice. We just, we as practitioners just chose to go down a more devoted route to Reiki. Kind of like you don't have to be a certified yoga teacher to practice yoga. Yes, exactly. It's just a way to explore more. Exactly. 
and to remember it's all about you. I know a lot of people want to jump on a certain certification just so they can practice with other people. But one thing about Reiki, and it's the same thing with yoga, you can't show up to practice Reiki on someone if your cup is not full. You, it, the one thing I really love about yoga and Reiki is that I cannot work if I am not in a good space. So I have to take care of myself. Um, you just can't do it. And with Reiki, especially if you're an empathic person, it is really easy to get caught up in someone else's energy. And one of the things that can happen during a Reiki session, if you don't have clear energetic boundaries, is you could be giving someone your own energy and not energy from the universe. There's a huge difference. You shouldn't be leaving a Reiki session feeling depleted. You should still be full. So that's why it's so important to focus on your personal practice. That is something that was really cool to note that little uh, detail that when you're practicing as the practitioner, you're not using your energy, you're channeling from the universe. That is really neat. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I also really appreciate that note about just really filling your cup. Um, I think that that is super important. And I think that it can be easy to slowly slide away from that without realizing that's what's happening. Yeah, it happens to the best of us. If you're in the wellness industry, you're a giver and you give, 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 give. And then you forget that you haven't taken anything for yourself. So reminder for everyone, not just Reiki practitioners. I love that. Absolutely. Um, so I'm hearing tips are to really be aware of the kind of values of the the person who we might be, who might be practicing on you. Um, I really like the emphasis on doing research and getting that kind of like vibe, right? Mm -hmm. we, I think we've all experienced that where you've seen something and it just kind of feels like it aligns with you. Mm -hmm. And then um, you've seen other things and it makes you feel kind of icky. <laughs> exactly. Yes, 100%. Um, those are really great tips. And I really appreciate the, the mention of, you know, there's nothing to say that sending yourself that loving energy, even though you're not certified, isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. That's why I still, I, that's why I still enjoy the practice of Reiki and I still enjoy giving it to others. I enjoy practicing it on myself. It's just another I, I, tool in the tool belt. I feel like that's like the, the quote of like every teacher or practitioner, but it really is. And um, especially when I finish my yoga therapy certification, I'm really looking forward to bringing Reiki into the yoga therapy realm and being able to, to use that modality on my clients in the future. I love that. Let me know when you're certified. Yes, here. <laughs> I will. I will. I think just like in a couple of weeks, I'll be done my, my hours. So stop it. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's exciting. Yes. Super exciting. Um, when the people are listening to this, it'll probably be more like a week. So if you see Lara on social media, go congratulate her. Um, otherwise, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we part ways about you, about Reiki, about anything? Oh, I think we covered a lot. Um, 
I can, nothing in particular really comes to mind. I'm just super grateful to be able to share um, share all of this information. I hope I got most of it right. Um, I, I would love if anybody you know wanted to add anything you know about the history. I think that the history itself is really interesting. Um, and then just another shout out to my Reiki master. I'm forever grateful she became a very dear dear friend, and she does not uh, attune anyone. She does not do. I don't believe she does Reiki certifications anymore but she still is very much in my life and without her I don't know if I would have ever um, taken that next step just from hearing my mom talk about it to actually um, coming in and and experiencing it myself thank you so much for sharing your time your space your energy your wisdom I really really appreciate it it's been really fun to learn um, seriously I feel like I knew nothing when I came in and now I feel like I can explain to someone. Yes. Very layman's terms, but I could do it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for this podcast, really being able to, um, to listen to, to listen to just a variety of very wise folks. You know, I love that you're bringing people on to talk about, you know, maybe some easy to talk about topics and maybe some difficult ones as well. So it's nice to get to know the MVP community outside of the classroom and, uh, just really happy for, for what you guys are putting into the community. Thank you. It is really an honor and privilege to be this kind of proxy um, for MVP and to share everyone's story. So I all, I all I am is a container and I get to learn every time. So I'm thankful to be here too. Um, on that note, we'll go ahead and we will leave the listeners for the day. I hope to see everyone again next week. Laura, have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Bye everyone.